Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod. We are looking um, at the next chunk. We're in Exodus this time. So some things have happened since uh, we heard the covenant with Abraham and um, name the biggest of which is that they've ended up uh, imprisoned under Pharaoh's wrath in, in slavery. Exactly as God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 would happen. So 400 years of slavery and affliction before they get rescued. And But thankfully, um, as the Lord promised, he's going to bring them out. And um, he's appeared to Moses and he's explained that he's going to... Um, to rescue them and we're picking up the story from exodus 6 and then we'll look at exodus 12 after that so i bet this in a very provocative way last night andrew i don't know whether this is could be heretical if it's if someone just sound clips this particular words but god's promises are not enough was my suggestion and what i mean by that is um god's promises matter because they happen so the reason that promises are so wonderful is because promises are kept. And there's a hint here that so far God's been making promises and Abraham's been trusting promises, but until he keeps them, there's a sense in which he won't fully be known. He's not just enough to be the God who says things. He's got to be the God who does what he says. And in one sense, um, this exodus is about uh, God doing very dramatic things um, with a, a strong hand and a mighty arm. Um, in order that from this point onwards, we will always look back to these events and know who he is. Um, and actually, one of the, the great things that's underlined in this passage is, yes, God's going to rescue, but he doesn't just rescue. He rescues for a greater purpose. Can you help us with that? Let me read the key verse, I think. So Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. I will bring you up out of the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. So far, I mean, this is wonderful, but it's kind of the promises again. We've heard this before. Um, but then here's this extra twist. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you up out of the burden of the Egyptians. Um, I love this. It's saying you in a set, there's a sense in which you don't know me yet. You know me as the promise maker, but it's only when I've kept the promises that you will know. And it, it, it's not just then an act of salvation. It's also an act of revelation. God is known by what he does um, and by his act of, of saving. And I think that's just very different from any other religion, isn't it? You can have you know, in the Hindu gods, you have little myths told about them or, or little stories and legends told about them. Um, but in um, the true religion of the true God, you know who he is by what he does and what he does is to save. And the um, we're told that um, I am the Lord by my name, the Lord. I did not make myself known to them in verse three, which was a puzzle initially because you actually the name... Yahweh does come up in Genesis. In fact, um, we see it. We've seen it quite a few times already in our studies in, in Genesis two, and in when God speaks to Abraham in Genesis twelve, and so on. 
Um, so it's not that they didn't know the sound of the word. It's that they didn't have um, the content of the word yet. Mm. And God is now going to fill in the blank. And he's going to say, every time now when you hear Yahweh, I want you to remember this event. I'm going to I'm going to show myself to be the God who keeps covenant and rescues. I used to give the analogy of those mugs that you could buy in motorway service stations that had your name on and then what it meant. So Andrew means manly, which I particularly liked. And um, you know, Nathan means he gave or, you know, you get the name, and the definition. But if you had the not the Yahweh motorway service station mug, what would it give us the definition? And you'd say Yahweh, he makes promises. Well, yeah, you know that, but you don't really know me. But now it would be Yahweh who kept the promises that he made and he, he saved us. Yeah. And it's worth thinking about uh, our own salvation in the Lord Jesus. It, yes, God has acted to save us from terrible harm, um, but it, that's not the ultimate and highest end. God has acted in history to save us so that he can display what he's like and so that he can be known as the saviour God. Um, sometimes um, when I'm d- reading the, the children's Bible with the, the little ones, I they say, oh, well, if God is in control, why did he let um, you know Adam take from the fruit? Um, and the, the, the quick answer I normally give is, well, Adam knew God as creator and sustainer, but what do you know about God that he didn't? And they say, oh, that God's saviour. And there's something glorious about um, we know God much more wonderfully because of the gospel about this isn't just one thing he did once he saved some people this is intrinsic to knowing god is that he is this kind of god Hmm. and not knowing god is the source of all sorts of problems both for pharaoh and for god's people so we're straying slightly out of our passage but back in chapter five Moses went to pharaoh saying Yahweh says let my people go and Pharaoh goes Yahweh Yahweh who I've never heard of Yahweh why should I do that so his name has got no gravitas with Pharaoh but also in the previous verse in chapter 5 522 um, Moses himself is discouraged Lord you haven't rescued us ever since I went to speak in your name um, it's just got worse so God's name sort of doesn't mean anything to Pharaoh and it doesn't mean much more to the believer and God wants to change that. He wants to give himself such a reputation that his enemies tremble and that his people are really secure. And that's what he's about to do. Now, chapter six says, you will know that I'm the Lord your God when I've done it. So we can't really stop the study here. We've got to see what God actually does and then then we'll know. So we're going to we're going to fast forward to chapter 12. And in, in this Bible overview, we're trying to give, you know, broad brushstrokes. We, we, we think we've managed to find the the couple of paragraphs in chapter 12 that give us um, the most different perspectives on the Exodus just in a few verses. And maybe we could read them out in full because it's it's not very long. So do you want to just read out the verses we've chosen from chapter 12? Yeah, I'll do 21 to 23 first. So Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, And dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians 
And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So the first thing we discover here is this strange way the Lord's going to rescue them um, by a substitute. So they have to get the lamb, administer the blood, and the outbox of all this is that they will then be kept safe from the, the Lord's judgment. And I, I guess the big message um, as it applies to us is that the world isn't made up of goodies and baddies. Uh, everyone deserves judgment. Actually, the distinction in Egypt is between people who shelter and people who don't. Just as you said that, it's just that is quite a striking thing, isn't it? Because you think, I mean, we think of conflicts in the world right now and you think this is the aggressor and this is the victim. And you look at Israel and you think, you know, they're, they're in a concentration camp and the Egyptians are murdering their children and, and beating them and... And you think, surely they're the baddies and God's on their side. And that's true. And God is against Pharaoh and he is a tyrant. But the way you just put it is very, very striking that even the Israelite is not automatically um, innocent under the judgment of God and needs to be bought by blood to be spared. And this is going to be so significant for um, an Israelite's self-understanding for every generation going forward um, to be known that Yes, we are God's chosen people, but we're not the goodies. And and the next chunk I'm going to read is about how they're to instill this identity within every generation. Actually, could you read 24 to 28? I love I love this bit. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he's promised you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Actually, Johnny, our children's worker, has just come in. If you heard the door, that was me sneaking over to let him in. Johnny, I hope very much that when the children in Sunday school ask you, what do we mean by this service? I guess in our case, we don't have Passover, we have the Lord's Supper. What does this mean? And you'll say, well, it's because... And we we face God's judgment, but we were bought by the blood of a lamb. And because of that, we're his people. And the wonderful thing about this is it is it's identity forming for a people. And um, Andrew, tell us about the way that this is read by a later generation and why the pronoun hour is so surprising. Yeah, well, one of the th- things that's been striking for me as I've been reading through um this this time round on the Bible overview is remembering that the writer is a Levite, as in um, Moses loves worship and priestly things. And even when we're in chapter one, we brought out how the fourth day that the lesser light and the greater light were in order to, you know, have religious festivals. But now Genesis chapter one, yeah, Genesis one. But now now here in the midst of a really exciting rescue passage, he says, "Let's pause, and I'm going to institute." Um, a religious festival that you're going to keep for every generation and he he actually gives them the liturgy they're going to say when they're in the land which is a long way off it's going to be generations uh, in the future Um, but he says when you're in there um, use this liturgy which says that the child asks the question and you're to reply well it's because he spared our houses and the hour is the same hour in every generation. So although you weren't actually in there, it wasn't that you had some real estate in in Egypt, um, you identify with that generation. Every generation is 
the rescue generation. Um, and this is so significant for us because this part, uh, you know, when you ask what is God's word to us uh, in our generation, um, the answer is, well, it's the same as every generation. God's word is always the same to us, which is we are a rescued people. Even if we weren't there at the actual events of the Passover, this is this is our identity. Um, we've got someone just saying, are you really sure about this? Um, we were talking about this last night. Are you reading too much into it? And I just point out that the same thing comes in chapter 13 um, when they're celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which goes along with the Passover. You shall tell your son on that day, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Now, if you know the Bible history, you know that actually only two of the people from Moses' generation make it to the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. So unless the verse is, is addressed only to them, <laughs> yeah. the point is here are people who didn't come out of Egypt saying to their children, this is what happened when I came out of Egypt. And the point isn't that Moses is sort of hazy about the history. It's just um, this is a story that happened to all of us. You know, we, are, we were talking about this last night and just how we're in a culture that is an identity crisis. And I guess particularly... It's it's a struggle sometimes for people with um, bad mental health and low self-esteem and for teenagers trying to work out who they are in the world. It's, you know, who am I and how do I define myself and where do I find my value from? But it's a beautiful answer. We are the people who the Lord Jesus bought with his blood. And actually the New Testament often starts that way, doesn't it? To to those in Rome called by and uh, called to belong to Jesus Christ um, or to those who are one Peter sprinkled by the blood of jesus or revelation um to him who um um how's it go um, revelation chapter one who bought us by his blood it's just a reminder not just this is what jesus did but this is who you are um because of what jesus did it's an identity forming act and just as they were to every year remember it every time we take bread and wine and you'll remember that jesus instituted uh, the last supper with um, his with bread and wine at a Passover festival so he was subverting it and, and showing its real meaning um, every time we take bread and wine we are saying this is who we are uh, that we might think that there's a pecking order in this room but actually there's no pecking order we're all united as being sinners saved by grace uh, wh- whatever generation we're in uh, we, we all have the same story it's a story that we um, deserve to come under judgment and and the judgment passed over us because of the lord um so we got we're looking at three different paragraphs the first one we're saved from god's judgment by the blood of a lamb Uh, second paragraph we just discussed about this this tells us who we are so it tells who god is because by saving he reveals himself but it also tells us who we are in relation to that and then the last paragraph is the sort of the flip side of salvation. So if if the first paragraph we're saved from God by the blood of the sacrifice, in the last paragraph they're saved from Egypt, the tyrant, through the judgment. And but I think it's quite interesting to put the two alongside each other. Saved from X by Y. So saved from God's judgment by the blood of the Lamb, but saved from the Egyptians by God's judgment. So God's judgment is the thing that you need to be spared from, but it's also the thing that spares you from the, the from the tyrant. It's, it's only as God's willing to um, roll up his sleeves and, and go and fight Pharaoh that God's people can be liberated. 
Yeah. Shall I read those last few verses? At midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And so th- there's this wonderful, what is, um, was a, a, a rescue from the Lord's judgment is also the liberation day. From now on, you are free from Pharaoh's grip. And God does both things in one moment. I think sometimes we neglect the second half so as evangelicals we talk a lot about jesus dies for our sins i mean rightly it's a wonderful thing but we don't always think hooray god's judgment is coming and that will liberate us um and it, it gets applied in various ways doesn't it in the new testament it's god's judgment comes on the devil jesus says in john 12 when he's lifted up on the cross now is the prince of this world driven out it's 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 the end of the devil's tyranny um, at the cross. But um, also it's vindication um, when Christians are oppressed by worldly tyrants and when Christians are martyred and killed and marginalised for their faith, God sees and, and will fight back. And the, the fact that these two things go together, rescue from God's judgment by the sacrifice, but rescue through God's judgment from the tyrant. Yeah. We, we said that these things are what God does, but what God does fulfills who he is, chapter 6. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So should we just end by thinking, what have we learned about the character of our God from these different um, acts of his? Well, I guess that he's rescuing for a a higher purpose of being known, and he's known as one who keeps the covenant, uh, keeps his promises, and who is um, a just God. Um, He doesn't have favourites and then ignore their sin, but he... Uh, judgment is is owed on all who have sinned and yet he's found a way through a substitute um, to bring great mercy and and deliverance and he's brought about a people who know themselves to be the people who are rescued and he tell their children and their grandchildren uh, this is what happened to us when the lord brought us out of slavery thanks so much for listening to grace pod and do join us again next time Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.